you. Thank you. Okay, Malachi 2. Malachi 2. So in our marriage vows, we usually include a statement, something to the effect of what God has put together, let not man put asunder. And I want this morning in the next two seminars to analyze that statement in depth, what God has put together, let not man put asunder. And if you'll permit me, I will start at the latter part of that statement. Let not man put asunder. And hopefully what uh, my intention in this first seminar is, is to scare divorce out of you. Divorce shouldn't even be in the Christian vocabulary. Unfortunately, it's become a major player. And so I want to look at this. I want to look at the divorce fantasy. Many, many times when people get divorced, they say, I've reached the end of my rope. Well, you got to think about that statement. Reaching the end of your rope implies one of two things. It means you're holding on to a rope and it's slipping through your hand and you're about to reach the end where you run out of rope and fall to an unpleasant demise. The other possibility is that the rope is tied around your neck and when you fall through the trap door and you reach the end of your rope, there's a brittle snap. Also, a very unpleasant demise. And so... However you want to paint it, reaching the end of your rope speaks of an unpleasant demise. And so I want you to keep that in mind as you reach the end of your rope. Okay? Because when we're talking about divorce, we're talking about an unpleasant demise. And so let's read here in Malachi chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. This is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let no deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel said he hates divorce. He covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And I ask You to minister by Your Spirit to hearts and lives this morning. I pray, God, uh, that You will have Your way. You will establish Your dominion in our hearts. Uh, We are not Christians in name only, God, but we have made You our Lord. And we ask You uh, to be our Lord and our King. And we will bow our knee uh, and obey Your Word. I pray uh, for grace in this time together. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to think with you for a moment about the divorce culture. There's a quote from an interview that I want to quote. And actually, I'm going to to, uh, share a number of thoughts, quotes from various books that I've read and things uh, that I've, articles that I've combed through. 
And I just want you to get a handle on where our culture is as it regards divorce. I'm talking about the, uh, the air that we live in, the air that we breathe. That's what culture is. Culture defines us in many, many ways. Uh, subtle ways, ways we don't even comprehend. And so I just want to get uh, an overview of the way our culture views divorce. Here's a quote from an interview with a young man in a uh, contemporary marriage, Comparative Perspectives on a Changing Institution. It's a book published clean back in 1985. It says, My opinion is that if a man and a woman get along for five or ten years, that is as much as can be expected. People change and they stop sharing. It is much more sensible to plan on a series of relationships, perhaps three or four. This is the way people think today. I had a... Uh, hmm. eh, you know, that's what happens. I had a great little article I was going to share with you that I pulled off the web just before I came here. Uh, it was the top ten celebrity, uh, the short, top ten shortest celebrity divorces, celebrity marriages. It was on MSN uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, the, I think the first one was nine months. The shortest one was between Rudolph Valentino, that uh, hung silver screen, and Jane Aker, whoever she was. They were married for six hours. This is incomprehensible to me. And uh, according to the little blurb, it says that she ran off with another woman. Um, I'm, I'm kind of... A, he died. Did you know Rudolph Valentino died when he was 31? I think he got AIDS before they figured out what AIDS were. And uh, that's my own theory. I don't know. He's not around to ask. But uh, we're dealing here with a, a perversion very clearly. And uh, this uh, experiment in marriage uh, was obviously ill-fated. Six hours. This is our culture. This is the way our culture thinks. I got a song here by Todd Snyder. I get a lot out of songs. He says, You ought to know by now this love of mine is real. Honey, words just can't describe the way I feel. And even though we just met, I'm so glad the date is set. And years from now, I would bet We'd be together still. But just in case, just in case, this morning I went by my lawyer's place. I didn't think that you would mind. Here, honey, sign this dotted line. What's yours is yours. What's mine will always be mine. Just in case. Well, you know I can't love you near enough, but I also can't afford to lose half my stuff. There's no doubt in my mind these ties that we're about to bind will hold us both together any time it gets too tough. But just in case, just in case, this morning I swung by my lawyer's place. I didn't think that you would mind. Here, Dumplin', sign this dotted line. What's yours is yours, and what's mine will always be mine, just in case. We live in a society of prenuptial agreements. Uh, the, the latest one that cracked me up was uh, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Michael Douglas. For several months, they postponed their marriage because they couldn't agree on prenuptial agreements. My question was, why are you even doing this? What is the point? There's a sign just past the Metro Mall in Phoenix, a big billboard. It says, The Divorce Store. 
and it offers fast and cheap divorces. There are a raft of books on the market today. Titles like The Good Divorce, Quality Time, Easing Children Through Divorce, Divorce and New Beginnings, Growing Through Divorce, The Best is Yet to Come, Learning to Leave, The Fighter's Guide to Divorce. Then there's a a proliferation of children's books. Daddy doesn't live here anymore. I won't go without a father. Where is Daddy? At Daddy's on Saturday. Daddy's new baby. My dad lives in a downtown hotel. (laughs) Who will lead Kaddush? Which is a Jewish celebration that needs a father to do it. And so these are the titles that are out there. And uh, these are are bestsellers that are available and reflect our culture. Divorce, Divorce rates have doubled each decade since the 1960s. Nearly 1.2 million American marriages were dissolved by the courts in 1994, which are the latest statistics I could find. That's triple the figure in 1960. Experts predict that nearly half of all new marriages will end in divorce. All of this points to an incredible shift in our culture. In our society, the way society views divorce. Not only does our society now allow for divorce, but our society embraces it and actually touts it as a positive social force. This is viewed as something that is a good thing, and I'm not overstating my case. Betty Friedan, in the book The Feminine Mystique, put forth the notion that that women's domestic roles or their marital roles keep them from moving up the scale of needs towards personal fulfillment and therefore prevent them from realizing their full human potential. This is the thinking of our sociologist. Sociologist Jesse Bernard in 1972 wrote a book called The Future of Marriage. And this is her state. Listen to this. To be happy in a relationship which imposes so many impediments on her as traditional marriage does, a woman must be slightly ill mentally. She's saying that you are, you are sick if you are married and enjoy it. There's something wrong with you. There's a growing body of thought that has decried as a roadblock to personal happiness marriage. And we all know that personal happiness has become the major issue in the last quarter century. This is our culture I'm talking about. Personal happiness is more important than duty. It's more important than honor. It's more important than justice. It's more important than anything. We have, you know, the, the whole peace movement right now. is It's enough to just make you want to whip out a big can of whoop and go for it, you know? It's just, it's so, it, it, it just drives me out of my mind. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned to Bob the, yesterday that, uh, you know, I've become a redneck. 
I used to be a hippie. Now I'm a redneck. I used to march in the streets against Vietnam. Now I'd like to shoot them long-haired hippies. Because there's a mindset, and I'm telling you, and it was true of the 60s, all of you who were around then, the only reason why we were against Vietnam is we didn't want to go. You know, we, I never sat around with my hippie friends and discussed the deep altruistic realities of war. We just got stoned and said, I want to go. And if they call my number, I'm going to Canada. Thank God I didn't do that. You've been much better off in Vietnam than Canada. Hallelujah. In a book, Divorce Culture by Barbara Defoe Whitehead, she says one of the least desirable remedies for a failed marriage, divorce, now became the psychologically healthy response to marital dissatisfaction. This new rationale for divorce established a far more permissive standard for seeking divorce. It also ensured that divorce would become far more widespread since marital dissatisfaction in a psychological age proved to be a fairly common experience. And so she's talking about the shift in paradigm, the shift in thinking that has taken place in our culture. When I was growing up, when someone got divorced, it was spoken of in whispers. It was something you didn't talk about. My wife tells me of her experience when she was just a kid. Their neighbors got divorced and they used to walk by the house and go, you know, just freaked out, you know, afraid that something would come out and get them. Because they were divorced. And that's the way society dealt with it as a whole. And now it is something to be expected. It is something that is healthy. It is something that is good. And once this genie got out of the bottle, an entire mythology of divorce began to grow in our culture. And statements began to be put forth that had no basis in reality, no basis in empirical insight. It was simply things that people wanted to believe and so they started to express these things and say that this is the way it is and it's all myth. And it all revolves around this shift to personal happiness and the individual being the most important element in our world. And so, along with this mentality uh, is, uh, is the myth that divorce is no longer a problem for society. That since the individual is supreme, society is no longer a stakeholder in marriage. It's an individual, not a community issue. That's a myth. It's not true. But we've come to believe that. We've come to believe that what goes on behind closed doors has no bearing in the real world. If President Clinton wants to be a whoremonger, he can be a whoremonger because it won't affect us. You're out of your mind. What goes on in the family creates what goes on in society. And the reason why you all look over your shoulders when you walk your dog in your dark neighborhood is because of what goes on in our families. And the reason why... We had to buy guns and bar our windows is because what goes on in the family. And so what goes on on an individual level has direct repercussions in society, but we try to pretend that that's not true. Society has no stakehold in divorce. This conclusion obviously has been accepted by society at large because there is no longer a social outcry against divorce. 
The truth of the matter is, if our society didn't believe that myth, we would have made we would have made legal uh, issues tighter and tighter and made it harder and harder to get a divorce. As we saw people getting more divorces, we would have put legal strictures on that. Our society would have said, no, we don't agree with that. We don't think it's a good idea that you leave your family and your children. We don't think that's a good idea. And so we're making it legally difficult. It's going to cost you to do that. That isn't what we did. Instead, we loosened the laws, we relaxed the terms, uh, we removed all the social taboos, and we said, this is a good thing, it's okay. And in so doing, we put the social seal of approval on divorce. Another myth is that since the individual's supreme children are no longer stakeholders in marriage, that they no longer are the issue. And without any empirical evidence whatsoever, sociologists and pop psychologists began to suggest that divorce had no harmful Repercussions on children. That it doesn't affect the children. In fact, it could be positive and liberating. They suggested that divorce could actually build stronger relationships between children and parents. They said that the new work ethic allowing women to progress in the workforce would eliminate the financial burden that comes on a single mother with her children that uh, children actually uh, would be better off away from a, uh, uh, a hostile marriage, an environment where mom and dad are fighting all the time. This warps little junior so badly that they'd be much better off without the family. So instead of being married for the children's sake, popular thinking became divorce for the children's sake. Divorce for the children's sake. Now, we're all sitting here, and I've listened as I've been speaking. Many of you are going, oh, ah. But you've got to understand, what I have just said is what our culture says. And what our culture says eventually bleeds into the church by and large. The church has historically watered its position down to be acceptable in its culture. Our fellowship is very unique in that we run cross-grained culture. And we, for years, as long as I've been in this fellowship, have taken very unpopular stands that has brought us to the place of being labeled a cult and, and all this other stuff. And really all we're doing is just saying, well, that's what the Bible says. Most of the church today will not take the hardline stance. And so, statistically, divorce is lagging only slightly in the church behind society at large. Well... We're all sitting here going, well, it never happened here. Don't be so sure of yourself. Because I guarantee you that when John Wesley uh, was pioneering the Methodist movement, uh, they never thought in their wildest dreams that they'd be ordaining homosexuals. And if John Wesley knows what's going on right now, I'm sure the angel Gabriel has to restrain him daily from coming to earth and killing people. And you and I have to understand that unconsciously, culture affects us. And little by little, it creeps into our thinking and we find ourselves literally thinking in a difficult marriage, when things are tough, we begin to look around and we begin to think of other Christian couples we know that got married and, I mean, got divorced and survived. And we begin to think of society at large. We say, you know, all these people can't be all that wrong. I know my next door neighbor is divorced. And the gal down the street is divorced. And maybe it's just not that bad. They seem happy. 
They seem okay. Their kids play with my kids. They're, they seem well adjusted. And we begin to adapt and to accept our culture's thinking. And it bleeds in. Culture is like the ocean that our boats sail on. And how many of you know boats need a bilge pump? Because the ocean seeps through all the little openings. And if you don't keep your bilge pump in good order, eventually your boat sinks. It becomes one with the sea that it's on. And if you don't constantly pump out the bilge, which is another nice word for sea poop, if you don't keep that pumping out of your boat, the next thing you know, you'll be embracing the lies of the culture that you're a part of. So you begin to say, you know what, I'm unhappy. Well, God didn't say stay married as long as you're happy. He said stay married, whether you're miserable or happy. Well, wait a minute, I thought God was going to make me happy in life. He was, he was the right choice to make my life happy. You know, you read through the prophets, uh, there's hardly a happy prophet in there. Because God didn't say, serve me because I'll make you happy. He said, serve me because I'm God and if you don't, I'll kill you. <laughs> and really, most of us stay Christian for that very reason. So we don't want to go to hell. Amen. There are times in my life when it would have been much easier not to be a Christian. But, you know, the repercussions of that kept me in line. Okay, And so, the bottom line, beloved, this may sound very cruel, but God could care less about your happiness. Society says, it's all about me. God says, it's all about me. And I can prove that with a hurricane. I can prove that with a tornado. I can, what would you like me to prove that with? Tidal wave, tsunami, what do you want? I'll prove that you are not the issue. God is the issue. I want to take a few moments and debunk the myths that I have spoken of here. As I studied for this sermon, read through various materials, it seemed to me that uh, what we needed first to do is to show the lie that our culture has embraced. The first myth is that there's no economic repercussions in, in the dual-sex workforce. That now women don't suffer because of divorce. They're able to take care of their own uh, and uh, everybody's able to carry on uh, and be happy and healthy after divorce. A 1995 Harvard study demonstrated that mothers and children in families that were not poor or welfare dependent before separation suffered an average decline in income after divorce of 50%. These women, when they got out on their own, lost 50% of their support. Now take off your shoes and socks. And do some calculating. Okay? How much money do you make right now? What's your family income right now? 40000 50000 So how are you going to do on 25000 25000 barely will cover your rent and utilities. Okay? 50%. That's what the, that's what the statistics show. 1993 figures show that 38% of children living with divorced mothers are below the poverty line. 38%. Mama, you better do the math before you put on your walking shoes. 
Sir, if you think you're having a hard time making ends meet now, think about how it's going to be when you have to support two families. When you have to pay child support. I had a guy in my church in El Paso, Texas, who got divorced before he got saved. He got saved, he remarried, had kids, he's doing good. His wife came back on him after 10 years with a, divorce, with a, uh, uh, a judge that was sympathetic to her cause and that judge garnered 80% of his wages. He was living on 65 bucks a week. How, how would you do? He had to go out and get three jobs to survive. And the problem was, the more money he had coming in, the more he had going out. And it wasn't helping him any to increase his income. Myth number two, divorce is the key to personal happiness. I mentioned last night that 80% of remarriages end in divorce. This doesn't strike me as character uh, enlargement. This doesn't strike me as somebody's personality becoming more amicable in life. That now that I've gone through this divorce, I'm a better person. Well, 80% end in divorce again. So they, they aren't really more well-adjusted, happier individuals as a result of divorce. Studies have shown that divorces often lead to new hostilities between the divorcing parties. There are parental conflicts that escalate over child uh, rights and visitation rights. Uh, there are issues that beca- become uh, uh, issues that weren't issues before. There is a marked increase uh, in domestic violence, alcoholism, depression. All of these things follow the wake of divorce. Society uh, doesn't give us the example of people being happier after divorce. Uh, society gives us the example that people are more miserable after divorce. The author of The Good Divorce, Constant Ahrens. This is a book that promotes divorce. She writes of her own divorce. I was the one who left. And for two miserable years, my husband and I battled constantly over custody, visitation, and child support. There were private detectives, a kidnapping, several lawyers, and ten, uh, uh, two years of legal fees uh, that took me the next ten years to pay off. And she's advising that you follow her. It was so much fun. (laughs) Abigail Trafford writes of her divorce in the Washington Post. She says, the world is turned upside down. You've lost your center of gravity. You can't get your feet back on the ground. Instead, you flip-flop in slow motion like astronauts in space. You don't seem to go in any particular direction, not forward, not backward. Uh, You just float and sink, float and sink again and again. You go to your therapist who tells you what you already know. Divorce is a disorienting experience. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Let the good times roll. I can see nothing but happiness in the future of divorcees. See, I can tell you this right now. If you are so selfish that you can't make a marriage work, then you are too selfish to be happy. Alone or with someone. If you are too selfish to make a marriage work, barring scriptural reasons for divorce that we'll look at at the end here, if you can't make it work, then the problem is you're just too selfish to be happy. And you never will. Because my experience in life is, you know, the words of Jesus are, if you lose your life, you'll save it. 
I have come, excuse me, I got a piece of ice there. And so, my experience in life is that most of the misery of my life has always been because of my selfishness. People don't make me miserable. I make me miserable. That's the way God built us. And if you're so selfish, you can't make a relationship work. You're too selfish to be happy. You just might as well accept the fact you're going to be a miserable, slimy creature all your life. Unless Jesus saves you. Amen. Good preaching, Lamb. Myth three and four. Divorce for the children's sake and it has no social repercussions. We've already seen the economic impact. 38% of kids fall below the poverty line after divorce. Beyond that, American Academy of Pediatrics said in 1994 report, up to half of the children included in the report were likely to manifest symptoms in the first year after their parents' divorce of aggression in school-age boys and depression in early and mid-adolescence girls uh, uh, being the most troublesome symptoms. They said these problems persist and the sense of loss is ongoing and may emerge, especially in holidays, birthdays, special school events, and when attempting to integrate multiple new family relationships. I was listening to an NPR report about six months ago where they were interviewing uh, adult children of divorce. These are kids whose parents divorced and now they're grown and they're in their 40s. And to a man and to a woman, every person they interviewed said that that divorce was the turning point of their lives and from that point forward they've been screwed up. It is a myth that it has no repercussions on your children. It it screws their brains up. It totally scrambles them. They have, they have no way. They don't have the equipment to deal with the violation of the fundamental relationship of their life. They, don't, they can't even sort through the issues. doesn't matter how bad that thing is. It just doesn't make sense to them. This is mommy, this is daddy, and mommy and daddy are no more. That does such violence to a child's psyche that they are never the same, ever. I don't care how well-adjusted they are. I don't care how, how much they smile. They smile because the therapist has them on lithium. Amen. Do enough drugs. to Ask Jerry Eckhart. He'll tell you. He can be happy. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Statistically, kids of divorced parents are more likely to drop out of school. They have a harder time learning. They're more likely to get into legal trouble. And they're more likely to become pregnant. Statistically. Again, quoting from the divorce culture, it says, When family relationships are governed by marketplace notions of individual self-interest, both the spirit of kindness and the supply lines of kindly strangers begin to shrink. Will a deadbeat dad who has abandoned three children of his own suddenly step forward to help the children of another deadbeat dad? If fathers can reduce their financial contributions to their own flesh and blood, why should others be compelled to make up the difference? If the divorce culture continues, both parental and social altruism will decline. In other words, what he's saying is the characteristics of self-sacrifice and concern for the common weal are lost in the divorce culture. That if we have a culture that 50% of our marriages end in divorce, then our culture is infected with a selfishness that will keep them from investing in someone else's children and helping other people. 
And so it's having a social impact. It's having an impact on the children. We see the increase in crime. We see the increase of a tax burden. We see the increase of social repercussions out of divorce. Myth number five, divorce means freedom. So think about it. Now the courts tell you when you can see your kids. Now the courts tell you how you can spend your money. Now the courts tell you when you uh, have to be at such and such a place. I had a lady come to me the other day frantic because uh, she had to be in Phoenix for uh, this divorce situation with her kids. She had no car. She had no way of getting down there. And if she wasn't there, then she's in jeopardy of losing her children altogether because of the courts. The courts tell you who you can talk to, who you can leave your kids with. In fact, the courts become the arbiters of a thousand little liberties that you had while you were married that you take for granted. You didn't step into freedom. You stepped into bondage. So these are the myths of the divorce culture. And by any measure, divorce is a bad proposition. Emily Post said a divorce is a failure even though both people may agree that it is best and there is little reason to be proud of a failure. And I might add that a failure is an indication of something wrong, not something right. And so you take all of this together and you see that there are repercussions, but I'm not through with you yet. Because this is just the uh, world's perspective. This is just looking at it empirically and saying, you know what, there are repercussions to divorce. But let's move it into the spiritual realm. What does God think about all this? Because that's really the issue. What does God think about this divorce scenario? In our text, we have God saying several things. The first thing it says is that He hates divorce. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want God hating me. I, I, I like to be on the good side of God, if at all possible. That's what I strive for. Because I have seen what happens when you're on the bad side of God. And He says, I hate Divorce. I heard one moron who is no longer with us say that God has no problem with divorce, just remarriage. Obviously, he didn't read his Bible, which is probably why he's no longer with us. God hates divorce. He has a major problem with divorce. Okay? And if you're here today... And you are a divorcee. I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm not trying to tear you down. There is grace. There is forgiveness. There is hope. There is help. But you and I have to come to grips with God on His level, not on ours. And on His level, He says, I hate that smack. And I won't support it and I won't bless it. He goes on and says uh, that it covers one's garments with violence. Other translations use the word cruelty. It covers us with violence and cruelty. There is a violent rending that takes place when you split somebody in half. And the Bible says that when you get married, the two become one. And so when you split that two in half, uh, there's a rending. There's a violence that is done. I don't know if you can see this, but I've glued two pieces of paper together. And if you rip this apart, they don't come apart well. There's always something left behind. This isn't very good for this paper. That's what you get 
When you take two things that have been put together and you try to tear them apart. And there is no way around that. This isn't just a phenomenon of Elmer's glue and paper. This is a phenomenon of the human spirit. And there is a literal violence. We look at the violence of the Twin Towers. We look at the violence of our culture. We see the bloodshed and the mayhem. We go, oh, it's terrible. Well, what's going on in the spiritual realm? looks just like that. It's mayhem. It's limbs being blown apart. It's body parts being left behind. That's what happens in divorce spiritually. And it turns us into spiritual cripples. This is not just a legal issue. This is not just a social issue. This is not just an economic issue. This is a moral, spiritual issue that has profound impact on both the perpetrator and the victim. And it does violence to everyone involved. You do not walk away from an act of the same. How many of you ever had violence done against your person? It affects you the rest of your life. It has affected me the rest of my life. It's always a little memory back here. I remember the fear. I remember the intimidation. I remember what it felt like to have three big armed men surround me and take my money. It's a very frightening moment in my life. I'm not Rambo. But I reckon if, if Rambo was there, he'd have been scared too. And it does something in your personality and your character. And it, uh, for, for years, it unsettled me. And I'd find myself in situations referencing off of that. It does, it does weird things to you. Well, so does divorce. Also note, he declares what our sociologists and eggheads have taken years to figure out. And that is that divorce wreaks havoc on our children. He says, why did I make you one in spirit? Because I seek a godly offspring. I seek a godly offspring. Well, obviously the implication is if we rend that one in spirit, what happens to the godly offspring? They're the collateral damage. There's no way to get godly offspring. Obviously, by God's design, there's no way to get godly offspring but by committed love and marital relationship. I guarantee you, you can rest assured that it will take a miracle of God to ever see your children live for Jesus if you get a divorce as a Christian. Because all of your talk vanishes. I don't care how many Bible Scriptures you quote to them, all of the meaning of what you've stood for has just evaporated in front of their eyes. As far as they're concerned, your Christianity is no different than the rest of the world. And it will take a miracle to get your kids to live for God from that point forward. He then says that He will not receive our offerings. He does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Your prayers are affected. Your relationship with God is affected. I'm not going to receive your offerings anymore. You can go ahead and uh, play your Christian tambourine, go to church every Sunday, and I'm not going to receive your offerings because of the violence you did to your marriage. Think about that. Think about that, beloved, as you're thinking about signing off on this thing. There are spiritual repercussions. Let me qualify this statement again. He is speaking to covenant people. I believe that if you got divorced before you were saved, and, and uh, that's tragic, and I guarantee you, God doesn't look at sinners' divorces any more uh, in any better light than He looks at Christian divorce. He hates divorce, period. 
But if this happened in the ignorance of your sin, then you got saved. You've stepped into something God can help and heal. Okay? God will give you a new life. Isn't that the wonderful reality of salvation? I can also say that for the Christian here, that perhaps it has suffered a divorce. God loves you. He died for you. But there are repercussions that can't be escaped if you make this choice as a Christian. He will not allow that to go down with impunity. There is grace, there is forgiveness, but as a Christian there are consequences. There are circumstances that God said allow for divorce, sexual immorality, abandonment, and a choice of an unbeliever no longer to stay with you. He says under those situations you're no longer bound but that's it there's nothing in there about compatibility about happiness about economy there's nothing in there all right so he says i allow for this and that's the only place that i'll let you get by otherwise there's repercussions she becomes an adulteress he becomes an adulterer those are the words of jesus i'm not talking old testament Talking New Testament. I'm talking God still hating divorce. So you have to understand that though God is a God of grace, there are certain things in life that He will not let go down without impunity. Or with impunity, rather. Finally, to the Christian in this place that did divorce in error, Paul says don't remarry. Oh, but pastor, you mean my whole life? I shouldn't remarry? Yeah, your whole life you shouldn't remarry. If you're going to remarry, remarry the woman you divorced. Remarry the man you divorced. That's what the Bible says. Okay? So, you, you, you know, you make of that what you want. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 11. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but if she does depart, let her remain unmarried and be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. So you make of that what you will. But that's the Word of God. It's going to cost you something to do this. You're going to go through this divorce. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Under any circumstances. It's going to cost you more than you want to pay. And so my entire purpose of preaching this this morning is to scare this out of you. Every one of you should look at your spouse and go, Honey, we're in this for long haul. We're going to make it, aren't we? Because if we don't, I don't want to go to hell. And I don't want hell come, to come to me. Amen. For the Christian, divorce simply is not an option. It simply isn't an option. You're in it. You say, well, I was a new convert. I didn't know what I was getting into. Tough noogies. But I hardly knew this person. None of us knew our spouse when we got married. None of us. We woke up one day and said, Who the heck are you? I don't care how informed you were going into this. I don't care if you never considered a thing that I said. I don't care if you were completely ignorant. You're no longer ignorant. And you divorce now as a Christian. God will come after you with a very, very large stick. And you will wish you had stayed married. You will wish you had stayed married. We're going to break for about 10-15 minutes.
and uh, then come back. You can stretch and use the facilities. And we'll try to.